All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers beat. Uh, you know where we're from. I guess we'll just jump right into it. This is sort of an not an impromptu, but a, a a unexpected topic to be talking about. As most people in the sporting world are, we are of course talking about you know spending a few minutes talking about the life and career of Kobe Bean Bryant, who passed away in a tragic helicopter crash along with eight others, one of which his daughter Gigi on Sunday afternoon Sunday morning Los Angeles time in a in a helicopter crash it is one of those to be honest I don't really know if I have the proper words for it. and I guess we as a you know I, I I don't have my primary perspective on Kobe is as a fan like Kobe for most of his career for most certainly of his prime I was more of a fan I think I, I've started really covering the team full-time or at least a full season credential in 2014. So most of my perspective will be similar to a lot of the people listening to this podcast. And we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit at the end. Rich went out to lower Marion to sort of gauge your reaction out there. But I guess we'll just start off. You know, this is one of those moments that really transcended sports and really like it, the, the two sort of parallels that I drew right away were obviously Roy Halladay, in part because of the circumstances surrounding it. And then also Michael Jackson, just because of the way that it transcended across all cultural norms and paths and age brackets. Those were the two that sort of came to mind. And right away, you will always remember, you know, where you were, who told you, all of that stuff. So I guess we'll just start off, you know, where were you, Rich Hoffman, when you heard the news? I was at a Starbucks. In South Jersey, as I am want to do, where I like to do my uh, my writing, and I was about to dive into that Sixers Lakers game to write an upon further review piece, and literally as I uh, as I sat down, open up Twitter, and TMZ pops up on Twitter, and it's you know you're looking at the headline they have, and you can't believe it. And you're looking to see, wait, is that, 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 that has to be a fake account, right? And then you click on the TMZ account. No, that's the real one. And Well, and then you almost had a little bit of fake false hope because yeah. TMZ's website kept going down and you thought maybe they did get hacked when in reality, and, and as I guess a former network engineer, I sort of, I lost that false hope quickly. They were just getting overrun with traffic. But yeah, you had that brief moment where, first of all, you just hope that TMZ was wrong. Yeah, and, that, like, and, that, and that's a part of and modern to, media. That there, there yeah. have been some. I feel hoaxes. like I feel like on that those really important ones though they are pretty pretty spot on you, in terms of the major news like that. Like some of the nonsense, I think they get wrong. But yeah, I was holding out hope, but you didn't. You know, you, you were hoping. You worried. You worried. Yeah, but you also knew that TMZ. With those big stories, you know, you say what you want about TMZ and their their morals and and all that stuff. They're usually right on that stuff, and uh, yeah. And then you know, more bad news just kept trickling in. So, so the first thing you do is you stop completely what you're doing, and you just look at Twitter, just keep refreshing your feed, and I mean, it was you know you know more and more bad news came in there were some very false reports about i think it was like the whole family 
I saw that at some point. And at one point, on the... Rick Fox was involved. Yeah. Um, you know, at but one point it was five. At one people. point it was five people. Yeah. And, you know, which, so in, in some ways it was, which felt terrible at the time, but it only got worse as we learned more. Yeah. Uh, and, and I sat there for I don't know an hour, and, and just refreshed the feed, and you know, I, I gotta say I was not the biggest Kobe fan or Stan in my uh, in my basketball fan and even writing career. But holy crap, I mean, that guy is an all-timer no matter what what you say about him. It was some of the most unexpected news you'll ever see. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Halliday news was absolutely tragic. But am I, am I wrong? Was there another person in there with him? No. No, he was alone. He was alone. So that that's different. Um, that's part of it. Michael Jackson, you know, I, I think that was absolutely stunning and... I agree with you. This is like the level of star that is. But this was a healthy 41-year-old who just had so many good years ahead of him. And and seemed to have really found a purpose, too, after yes. well, life and, in the NBA, which not not everyone finds that sort of peace. Yeah. No, and I, I think, honestly, the guy who he got compared to and the guy he was chasing for most of his career, Michael Jordan, took him a while to find that purpose. Yeah. And you can argue is still in some ways searching for it. There was a really good feature on him a few years ago on ESPN, I remember, that delved into that subject. Um, yeah, and that's what made it all the more sad. Uh, you know, he was going to his daughter's basketball game with his daughter who dragged him back into the game. You know, there was, for a couple of years there, he was out of sight, out of mind at basketball games. And, and in some ways, I thought that was cool. But, you know, to now see him back on the sidelines and shaking hands with Luka Doncic and going to, you know, I, I it's funny. I, I had followed him. This is how famous he was. Even though I wasn't always the biggest fan of him as a player, I had followed his Instagram page and seen the stuff he had done with his daughter, Gianna. Like, he he traveled, I think it was to Washington State. There is a really good senior in high school girls basketball player who they befriended, and she's one of the best players in the country. They went to her game, and Kobe talked to them, to, the, to uh, this girl from Washington's just normal high school team after the game. And it was, I mean, you could tell he had become just a great ambassador from the women's game. And you could tell his daughter was becoming a very good player. And, you know, there's eight other people on that plane fly or uh, sorry, helicopter flying to their daughter's games. Uh, and it's just brutal. It's, it's one of the worst just random tragedies I can remember. Yeah, I uh, so I was I was actually at a family event. It was my cousin's twelfth birthday party. Uh, so right around the the age of Kobe's daughter, and I have a very I'm, I'm the oldest. She's the youngest. So like, there's a, a lot in between of my generation. And sitting there, it really was, and like this hit me harder than like 
this hit me harder than Doc. And I don't talk because like you, I was not a huge Kobe stan. You mean Moses? No, no, I mean I mean Halliday. I'm sorry. Oh, Doc okay. Halliday. I, I got it. Yes. Um sorry. Have to yeah. Uh, it hit me harder than Halliday, who, who, you know, I was a Philly season ticket holder. Like I, 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 those were like my last vestiges of fandom was that, that team, that Phillies run. And this, I just shot, sat there on Sunday, like shell shock. Like I could not process what was going on. And I really sat there and I, I thought about, you know, why? Because it's, had I, had, you know, we had been, you were there during the Ebster's press conference, which I'll call it. Yeah. Uh, during his his final press conference in Philly, and like you could feel the the aura of Kobe in there, but like I don't have like we're not going to have an abundance of Kobe stories, not as a, a as getting to know him because we we didn't know him in that way. I knew didn't him know. much more as a fan. So I'm like, why is this hitting me so hard? And it it is the first of all that there were three kids in that helicopter, which is I mean, look, Kobe at 41 is a tragedy. The other, you know, what? four adults in there that's a tragedy and and something those families are going to have to deal with for the rest of their lives like we talk about getting over it and how this might linger for a while it will linger with them for the rest of their lives and that's that's always tough but those three little kids it's just like brutal in 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 some ways kobe's post nba career made him more relatable than he ever was as an nba player like this is a guy who, as a player, was almost indestructible, or at least he came off that way. An arrogance, a cockiness, a confidence. He would toe, toe between all three of those extremes. And it was very calculated, too. Everything about him was calculated. Like he was, you know, six six, six seven, could jump out of the gym gym. Athleticism, not one percent of one percent of one percent can dream of. He seemed almost indestructible. And then at the end of look, I I realize our lives aren't likely to like, we're not going to take our kids to a game in a helicopter, but like what happened there? If, and this is sort of like what I felt like if he can't, I, I think at a primordial level, like we all just want to take care of the people who are important to us. And there was just this thought in my head that if he can't do that, Kobe fucking Bryant can't do that. Like it was just a very like almost humbling moment, very much a, don't take anything for granted moment. And you mix that, the tragedy of what those five families have to go through for the rest of their lives and the, the, the people that they are going to be without and what Vanessa Bryant and his other kids are going through. I can't even imagine. And I hope very few people listening to this podcast can imagine, but then you sort of just the, you, you, you add in the level of, you know, how vulnerable we all are. Yep. As people and as life is, and as it it was just, it was, it was, it was very tough. It was very tough. And like Kobe's a complicated person. He has very equal parts of his personality and his history that are good and bad. And we don't really need to, there will be a time I think where a discussion on Kobe is is a little more appropriate than now. There are some things I have, you know, of his history and everyone can figure out what I'm talking about, but I, I had a real hard problem coming to grips with for a very long time. But at the end of the day, when he retired from the NBA and you could see the how how true it was, how much he cared about his daughters and his family, he really did become like a the most relatable I think he's ever been. And I think he did grow as a person. And look, I'm not I, I can't be here good or bad, be the arbiter of Kobe Bryant, the person. I don't know him well enough. I don't know his growth well enough. But from the outside, it certainly seemed like he was a good father. He had become a good husband. And 
it's just it's a tough loss for everyone. But I I can't imagine what everyone is going through. I really can't. Yeah, no, and I echo all those things you say. But you know, you know, to piggyback to your last point, all we can try and do is improve. And uh, I think it's it's pretty clear from what we saw that he believed that and he did that. And uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I think just part of the reason it, it hit me so hard, somebody who really has no connection to him. He was just a part of your childhood as, or, or, or whatever, however old you were during the era he played. You, you, he was will, the NBA. We'll, uh, we'll be generous to me and we'll call that childhood too. Yeah. But he was the NBA. You know, it was him. It was Iverson. It was Duncan. It was Dirk. But but even, you know, even if maybe I would argue some of those guys in some ways were better players than him, more consistent players than him, I would never argue that they were bigger stars than him. No, he was for sure. Yep. He was just a guy that everybody liked to watch. They like to watch him take all these crazy shots. The, the amount of times I have played basketball, pick up or or something, yeah, just just pick up or intramurals or something like that, and somebody jacks up a crazy fadeaway shot and yells Kobe. I mean, that's just that was part of basketball, and you know, I saw people doing that outside of Staples Center on a. Uh, on a wastebasket, I'm sure that's happened in in offices and and everywhere too. It's uh the guy was just a a massive figure. I uh, I remember that last game too. I guess I, I won't name names on this one, but uh, after that final game in Philly where he was terrible and he he shot a million bricks and the Sixers got their first win and he he talked to the Evster before. <laughs> Uh, afterwards, the they brought him into the Sixers press conference room. That is, I don't think that's ever happened. By the way, do you, do you, do you remember them bringing an opposing player into that tiny press conference room for a regular season game before? No, no, I don't believe I do. So they did that before and after the game. Um, so after the game, though, that that room is completely packed and it is raucous with people who. I would call jabronis um, over the years, people who are not media members who are there all the time and hangers on. Let's just say there was one local TV personality who started the, uh, the post-game press conference with this question. Kobe, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, just, to, just as a reminder... Uh, his his high school point guard didn't even go that far. He asked a more serious question than that. And I think there was a follow-up that was just as hard-hitting as that, which, you know, it was ridiculous. But, again, I'm not sure there's anybody else who would inspire that, which is just crazy. Uh, it was uh, it was amazing. I think, uh, you know, I, I, I got offered to talk on a certain – certain network. I don't know how I, I was offered this opportunity on Sunday night and I passed it on to the athletic there are our main people. And I was like, there's gotta be 40 people in here who covered him, right. who knew him better than I did. But even though I didn't know him, he's still 
made a major impact on me. And I think that's the same for literally every basketball fan. Yep. And like I said, even, even if there are some things, even on the court and in terms of how he approached the game that you didn't agree with, like his work ethic and dedication were, I mean, they, they, they really, and you're going to hear this from people who would witness it a lot more, but they really were unparalleled. Like he, he, he approached practices like Iverson approached games in terms of intensity. And look, he was blessed with incredible physical gifts, but he was never, I don't think he ever had like the best physical gifts. Like, I think LeBron um, has better physical gifts than him. And like Tracy McGrady was bigger. Vince Carter could jump higher. Allen Iverson was quicker. He had a, yeah. he had a really good combination of all those three, but he was never the best really at anything. And you could just see, like, go back. I, I watched his, um, the championship game from 1996, which by the way, and, and this is the other thing that I really remember about his, his tenure and that rivalry, some of the crazy arguments about why he wasn't from Philly or, you know, Lower Marion is four miles out of the city and that makes him not Philly or he spent too much time in Italy and he's not Philly and oh, he embraced Italian culture too much and that makes him not Philly. And like you, the only way you can be Philly is if you're one sort of person and it's all because he didn't choose Philadelphia yeah. and he, and, and, and part of it, he didn't choose LaSalle because his, his father was an assistant coach at LaSalle and you go back and you listen to them talk, cover that game and they're talking about how he might go to LaSalle and, 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 and really make them competitive in the big five. And it's like, that's not Kobe. That's not what Kobe's aiming for is be competitive in the big five. Like, come on, you have to know better than that. And the amount of vitriol he got for that decision and for embracing LA and for a hundred other things. Really. I think a lot of it came down, boiled down to a, he was cocky, which, okay, I can get how that rubs people the wrong way, but B, he wasn't on our team. And he was the opposite of that. He was against the, on the team that you were playing against in the finals. But, you couldn't help but respect him. You you just really couldn't. And the way he bought in, like we talk now about Ben Simmons being a great defender. Well, Kobe could Kobe could defend Allen Iverson. And maybe he wasn't quite as tall as Ben. He wasn't didn't have quite as much versatility, but he could he could lock in defensively like that. And for the good majority of the first part portion of his career, he did. Like he he approached defense, he approached practice with the same kind of determination that he approaches that most people approach offense. And it was it was really great to see. I mean, it was, it was like I said, even if you didn't agree with everything he did, both on and off, off the court, it was really easy to respect what he was as a, uh, as a, as a devoted basketball player. Maybe Ben will make some all NBA teams at the end of his career off, uh, coasting off his legacy <laughs> from when he was, uh, he was just a dogged defender early in his career. You're absolutely yeah, if, right. If if Kobe can, I mean, when was Kobe's last all defensive team? It was way too recently. So yeah, it ben, was like yeah, it was ben like should have a good twelve or thirteen more years of those. Yeah, that's interesting. I forgot about the LaSalle portion of that. My, uh, I got to ask my high school coach that. Uh, he was the head coach of LaSalle at that point. So yeah, I mean, it, it seems so far fetched now. I, I heard there were were rumors about that, but I honestly, even if he would have went to college, he would have went to Duke or something, right? Or North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, dude, there's yeah. no way. There's no way. Yeah. That seemed like a pipe dream that I think Philly just kept repeating and repeating and repeating until they believed it. Like sort of like when LeBron's kids like went to a Philly school or something and all yeah, of a sudden he's yeah. coming to LeBron. We can we can get hopeful and then we take it out on people when our misplaced optimism is turns out to be misplaced. I guess we'll pivot a little bit to your article that you had up on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Philly. This 
article is unlocked, as will be this podcast. So if you're not a subscriber, you can still go read it. And you went out to his old stomping grounds and talked to some people there with the program and with um, with Lower Marion. And I guess just sort of like your impressions on what you learned by going out there. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I will say that while I don't have much of a connection to Kobe, I am from Lower Marion. It's where I grew up. It's where my parents still live, really close to the high school. Um, I worked out in Bryn Mawr and I worked out in Radnor. And I was commuting from West Philadelphia at that time, from Drexel University. It was while I was still in college. And I would drive out Lancaster Avenue every day because it was just... I mean, Eskukul was a freaking disaster. Still is. So I would drive by out where Lancaster. Would you work out, where, where would you work out with at, at Bryn Mawr, by the way? Summit? Is that where? Oh, no. It was a, a work. Like a, like oh, a I job. I got yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually worked... I was a... It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about my my uh, computer career. Sorry, I did for a second there. <laughs> but I would I would drive out Lancaster Avenue, and every now and then I would just, you know, go down Windward and go down Montgomery, and I just drive by Lower Mary, and it'd be like that's Kobe's fucking school. Like it was like that was like a cathedral of of of, of basketball, just driving by the high school gymnasium, and it was like it never got normal to me. Yeah. Did it ever really get normal to you? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, it did because. It's where I'm from. It's uh, I didn't go to high school there. If uh, if my parents didn't want to send me to Catholic school, that's where I would have went. Though I did play basketball though, and you know, at the Narberth League, I didn't really play in the Ardmore one, which is the other league. But you know, I had a lot of friends who were from my grade school, and then I just played basketball with at Narberth, who went to Lower Marion and were really successful players. I mean, I knew, you know, one of the guys I, I have quoted in the story, he's kind of the alumni voice in the story is this guy, Greg Robbins. He is the second all time leading scorer in Lower Marion. <laughs> he is 1200 points behind Kobe. He scored 1600 points and he's 1200 points behind the leading score. Uh, you know, that, I, that I, I knew like him as at the athletic, we rank the second most frequent newsbreaker among our NBA staff. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I knew one of my really good friends was part of the press conference yesterday. His name's Steve Mann. And he played, you know, he's my year at, and he played for Lower Marion. And they had a press conference yesterday at the school where both a couple of guys who played with Kobe talked and who were assistant coaches talked. And then, players throughout the years up to current players. And Greg Robbins was telling me that he would just walk into the coaches' offices and there would be stacks and stacks of Nike shoeboxes. They, uh, all of the Aces players for at least a while there were invited to work, and they did, at Kobe's summer camp in Santa Barbara, California. He, there was also the story of, I think it was before they beat Shenley and it was underrated. Great high school basketball game where Shenley from Pittsburgh had Dewan Blair and a really good team around him. Dewan Blair's brother. They had, they also had a guy, DJ Kennedy, who I'm not sure if he made it to the NBA, but, has won that uh, the basketball tournament every year 
He's on that overseas elite team. They were awesome. And they played Laura Marion in the state championship game. And Laura Marion's best players were uh, people I knew. Garrett Williamson and Ryan Brooks, they played at Temple and, and St. Joe's. And before that game, I think uh, I think Brooks yesterday told the story that Kobe, Greg Downer, who was the coach when Kobe was there and is still his friend you know, throughout the rest of his life, would get Kobe on the speakerphone. And Kobe would call in, and he would drop a lot of a lot of f bombs. They they joked that it was not for uh, not for kids, but it was inspiring all the same. And uh, and they ended up winning that game. And I think you know they really didn't want to make it about basketball. A lot of the people, and there was this guy Doug Young, who is one of the main people quoted in that story, who was a couple years older than Kobe, but you know knew him as a high school kid was his friend and then also was one of the few people that maintained somewhat steady contact with him throughout the years because he was an assistant coach and, and him and Downer were still uh were still talking to him fairly frequently. He kind of became the point person. He uh he was like, I don't want to make it about basketball. But why is Laura Marion so good? And it's true. I mean, you know, I never really thought about this throughout my lifetime. That is a public school program. This is not Oak Hill Academy. It's not IMG. It's not Montverde where Ben and Joel went. They, they can't just go around the country and reload and bring in new kids every year. You have to be from the district to play. And it's not even like... Uh, like Roman Catholic or where I went, St. Joe's Prep, where you can you can get kids from all over. There's no constraint like that. Laura Marion, since Kobe Bryant has left, and before they were not, you know, they were an average suburban program. They there's tw- I think it's been 23 years since he's let, left. They've had two losing seasons. Two. They have won two state champions. They have made a couple other state championships. I think they'd never won a state championship before him, right? I, you know what? I, I didn't look back in the history. They might have won one in like the 30s or the 40s, but ah. that doesn't count. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how many teams there were in the state back then. You know, uh, but yeah, they were not on the map by any means. And I think, look, part of that goes to Greg Downer is a really good coach, and he's probably a, uh, he's like a college coach working on the high school level. Almost. And, and he deserves a lot of the credit for that. But Doug Young said it yesterday. Kobe deserves a ton of credit for that. And, you know, I, I know high school basketball pretty well. And I know I'm very familiar with the Laura Marion program, even if I'm not inside of it. You know, if, if you're talking about the, the two best public programs in southeastern Pennsylvania, which, by the way, means the two best public programs in Pennsylvania. Because you know Western PA, they're not they're not touching the the Philly suburbs, not not in uh, maybe in football, but football wise, yeah, not in basketball though. So the two best public programs in the state, Chester, Lower Marion, and Chester has this long history of just producing all of these great players. Lower Marion's a little different. Lower Marion started with Kobe, and I, I do think uh, in that community. It's uh, it's hard to understate the influence he had both on that school. You know, there were stories of 
when he would go back, you know, the few times he would visit the school, he would always have Lower Marion people visit him when he was back in town to play the Sixers, but sometimes it was at the arena. But a few times he went back to the actual school. And when he went back, it wasn't just to talk to the basketball team. It was to catch up with his teachers who uh, who taught him. I think there was – I don't know. I didn't have this in the article. I didn't look at this exactly. Maybe this is something we can look at in the coming weeks. But there was – might have been an Italian teacher who uh, who he became really close with. Don't uh, – I, I guess don't don't take that as, as gospel, though. And, and, yeah, he would come back and he would just talk to the regular student body. So – you know, I, I think it was, it was. I appreciate all the people who talked to me over the past couple of days, and there were only a couple because I think that community is, yeah, really on. shaken, and it's hard to, you know, even as he became a star three thousand miles away, and he became so much bigger than the kid from Lower Marion, the uh, the amount of pride that that school and that basketball program takes in. Uh, takes in him is it's hard to understate. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. I think that's probably a good place to cut it off because quite frankly, I just don't think I can top that. So I just want to say like our hearts go out to not only the Brian family, but the Altabelli family who lost not only John, but his wife, Carrie and daughter, Alyssa were on the helicopter with him. Um, Christina Mauser, a basketball coach, Sarah Chester and her teenage daughter, Peyton, who was playing in that league, and also, of course, the pilot, Aura Zabayan. Uh, our hearts go out to all them, to all the people who knew any of the aforementioned, to everyone in Lower Marion or Philadelphia who may have had a relationship with Kobe, and quite frankly, to all the fans and people whose lives he he impacted. It is a, it is a tough time for all, and uh, I guess with that, we will... We will cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Thank you for for that article. And we will talk to you soon, hopefully under better circumstances. See you, man.